2 Samuel, and we're going to backtrack just a little bit. Uh, backtrack a little bit back to 2 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to look at what, what could be called a lapse of judgment on David's part. 2 Samuel 16, David is such an interesting study because he's so full of, of problems and, and sin and blatant, uh, blatant uh, errors of judgment, and yet he is a man after God's own heart, a man who loves the Lord and who loves God's word. And it, I don't think there's any greater uh, dichotomy of, of, of spirit. There's no greater oxymoron in one sense than David in Scripture. Uh, he is so enamored and enraptured by the word of God. And then on the other hand, he, is, uh, he, he gets away with murder and adultery. Uh, and we know that he doesn't really get away with it, but he is the king in all of that, and he continues to be the king. It's an amazing thing. But he has a lapse of judgment. We looked at last time about Shimei and how it takes strength to show mercy to those who do not deserve it. And David was a man of such strength. But it also takes strength, in some cases, to reward those who do deserve it. And for whatever reason, David's personality seemed to lean more towards having grace towards jerks than it, than it necessarily did. Uh, and jerks or people who were in distress and, and so forth. He was a, a man who put up with a lot of, of pressure in his life. And so he seemed to have a lot of grace towards those that were being unkind to him or those who had a really hard time. But in some cases, he had, he had less, um, less wisdom when it came to someone who really deserved to be rewarded. And that's the case here in Mephibosheth's life. But we're going to back up to 2 Samuel 16 because we're going to look at uh, Ziba in verse number 1. It says, uh, here's, here's David leaving Jerusalem. Um, and it says in verse 1, and when David was a little past the top of the hill, you get 100 points if you can remember what hill that was. Okay, uh, 500 points. It's a hill that Jesus also went up when he crossed over a brook. Mount of Olives, 500 points. Goes here. No, who was it? Was it actually Shane? It was Shane, Okay. Okay, which I want, I'm really interested to know which one found out. It was Shane. Okay, all right. Good, good, good man, good man. Uh, and Jenny, you said it, so you get 250 points. You said it out loud. Okay, are we ready? <laughs> Let's get into the scripture here. Uh, he's a little past the top of the hill. Behold, Ziba the servant of Mephibosheth. What was his role? The servant of Mephibosheth met him. Uh, with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and a hundred bunches of raisins, and a hundred of summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, The asses be for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. Now everything is great up to this point. What a blessing. Ziba is the man. He shows up on a hot day with a glass of lemonade. Thank you, Ziba. And the king said, before, before he went any further, the king said, and where is thy master's son? Remember, uh, thy master, he's speaking here of Saul, the house of Saul. Where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he abideth at Jerusalem, which was true. And then he gives the reason. For he said, today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. 
talking about Saul's kingdom. Uh, he's saying basic, he's, he's saying that Mephibosheth said, anybody but David, get, get rid of David. I mean, it, it didn't make any sense if you stop and think about it, because how are you going to restore the house of Saul with Absalom? Absalom was the house of David. But either way, he said, basically, he said, Mephibosheth said, goodbye and good riddance to David. We don't want that guy around here. We don't need him. All right. This is what Ziba said about him. Then said the king to Ziba, behold, thine are all that pertain to Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my lord, O king. Uh, so we see that David takes Ziba's story here at face value. Now, I don't know why he would believe that Mephibosheth had forsaken him, but hey, his own son rebelled against him. So why not? This guy, this Johnny come lately, why not him? So we see, first of all, that, that Ziba gives his story. This is his side of the story. This is what happened. David takes it at face value and says, here's my verdict. Mephibosheth is a turncoat, and so Ziba gets the land. That's what my verdict is. And uh, it's easy. it was an easy story to believe because, I mean, look what the guy did for me. He brought me all this stuff. He cares about me. I'm in a, in a, in a strait here and, and going through a difficult time. And these, this guy cared enough to come out here in the wilderness and bring us these gifts. I don't care what anybody says about him. That's a good man right there. And, and I would feel the same way. And he goes even further and says, he's a good man. And I am going to uh, reward him and take away from what Mephishtha. I'm going to take all that. I'm going to give it to you because you're a good man. That's the first thing. Now, let's go to chapter 19. That's the first verdict, the first story. Let's look at chapter 19. And it says, uh, verse 24, 1924, And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. Uh, this is apparently at the river where they were crossing over the Jordan. And had neither dressed his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed, until the day he came again in peace. So it was almost as if he was protesting, kind of like a hunger fast. And he was showing that he was not in agreement with Absalom, this new government. He refused to clean himself up, and he, he was, he was uh, odious, and he was uh, a disgusting sight to look at and to be around. And I'm sure that uh, he was willing to explain why. Anytime someone out, why don't you take a shower? I'll tell you why. All right, so, and it came to pass, verse 25, when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king. So apparently he, he came down to the river, and, uh, or it, it appears that way, because now he says he, when he come to Jerusalem to meet the king, uh, that the king said unto him, Wherefore, wentest thou, uh, wentest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? Now, you can understand, David is asking, what's going on? Where, remember he asked Ziba, where's Mephibosheth? And now he's asking Mephibosheth, why didn't you come out and join me? Now, we can see that David is asking questions, which is a, a, a good way to get to the truth, to ask someone, not just to take it uh, without any questions, not just to accept it completely, but what's going on? Why didn't you come? He did that with Ziba. And uh, Ziba said, well, here's the reason. Gave him a reason. Now he's asking Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth gives him a reason. What's the reason? Let's look at it. Verse number, and by the way, when I think about that, uh, there's something just, just notice. You see verse number 12 real quick. He's talking to the elders of Judah. David is. He says, ye are my brethren, ye are my bones and my flesh. Wherefore then are ye the last to bring back the king? He asked them of that through a, a, a mediator. And now he's asking Mephibosheth, 
Why didn't you come out to meet me? Uh, just a side note, God does care about where you are with him and whether you're following him or not. He does care. Sometimes it, it seems like, well, you know, God hasn't killed me yet, so it must be okay. Uh, he, do, he wants to know what, what's going on in your life and why aren't you following me? And he, the Lord has a way of, uh, of asking those questions that draw us to himself. Now let's look at verse 26. Here is part two. This is Mephibosheth's story. And, and that, that word is, for some reason, it's pretty difficult for me to say. You all pray for me. Mephibosheth. Uh, look what it says, verse 26. He answered, my Lord, O king, my servant deceived. Notice the difference between my servant and thy servant in this verse. My servant deceived me. Who is that? It starts with a Z. Ziba. My servant deceived me, for thy servant said, who is thy servant? It's Mephibosheth. He's the one that's speaking about what he said, and he's also talking about uh, Ziba. But he, know, he says, my servant, that's Ziba, thy servant, that's me. He said, I will saddle me and ask that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. Now, that's all he tells us here. He said, my, my, my servant deceived me. I was coming to go to you, but he deceived me. Now we see in, uh, in, in the, the previous chapter, verse, in chapter 16, that Ziba had a couple of asses that he took with him. And he was going to, uh, apparently, it looks like maybe he was going to take uh, Mephibosheth because he said, I want to go, Ziba, go get the asses and let's, let's go. And then at the last second, Ziba had uh, a change of heart and had a new plan. Uh, either way. It says in verse number 27, And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. So David's second verdict here is that Ziba was lying, apparently, or that it, it, I see you both have you both have a side, you both have a story, so thou and Ziba divide the land. Now, there's a couple of ways of looking at that passage, and that is uh, the, that David originally had intended for them to, to divide the land as an owner and a tenant, as a sharecropper and an owner, someone who owned the land and someone who worked the land and was able to get something out of it. So like Ziba would be the sharecropper, uh, and, and, and Mephibosheth would be the owner of the land. So that's one way, and, and the reason why I kind of lean that direction uh, is because it, he said, I have said. Why are you talking about this? I have said, thou and Ziba divide the land. Now the difference is that it doesn't say anywhere that, uh, that he did that. It implies it. In, in the previous chapters, which we'll look at in a moment. But either way, this verdict has been changed because he had said previously to Ziba, everything Mephibosheth had is yours. Because Mephibosheth would not come out here and meet me. You did. And I appreciate you, so I'm going to give you what used to be his. And now he is saying, thou and Ziba divide the land. And you can take it however you want. If you, if you look at it like um, I had originally given everything that was Mephibosheth's to Ziba, 
but now Mephibosheth comes with a second opinion, the second story. And so, all right, I'm going to split the land between you. Either way, um, it, 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 David is trying to get out of it, and he appears to believe Mephibosheth over Ziba. And he appears that Mephibosheth is, is just kind of a whiner. It almost feels like David is talking to him. Like, why do you keep talking to me? Go. Just do your, just get away from me. Uh, I don't know. I call it a lapse of judgment because uh, it, it appears to me, and I'll show you why in a little bit here, it appears to me that Mephibosheth is the one that's telling the truth and that Ziba is the one that's not telling the truth. And yet uh, David does not show him favoritism. Whereas Shimei threw rocks and cursed and, 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 and called him everything but a, a godly man. And David said, I forgive you. David showed him grace. And so that's why David is such a complex character. Here's a man that's literally saying, you're the one, David, you're responsible for uh, all of the blood that's been shed. You're the one that's causing problems. God is raining on your parade, David. And he's, I mean, he's just yelling and screaming at him, cussing at him. But for some reason, David finds it in his heart to forgive him. Whereas Mephibosheth here comes and explains everything, gives him another side. And uh, David seems to dismiss him out of hand. Now, who is lying? Ziba or Mephibosheth? And, and the truth is, the, it, the answer is never explicitly provided in Scripture. Now, we make our assumptions, and, and honestly, uh, sometimes that's all, we ha- that's all we have is our assumptions about the Scripture. But I'm going to give you something I think may be, uh, when comparing Scripture with Scripture, it may be a way of coming to the truth. And uh, I personally think that it is. It's, it's uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. If you want to follow through, I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis of 1 Kings chapter 3. Because you can find that, uh, you can find a thematic connection between this passage and the passage in 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, David, I'm sorry, Solomon became king and uh, he made this ruling between two women in 1 Kings chapter 3. And they were living in the same house. Um, They each had a baby within three days of each other. And one of the woman's baby died and in the middle of the night. And so she switched her dead baby with the other woman's alive baby or live baby. The woman who had made the switch said, no, that didn't happen at all. I I had nothing to do with it. I mean, it's, her baby's the one that died. So in order to determine which one was telling the truth, King David, uh, keep calling him King David, but his name is King Solomon, he brought a sword, he had a sword brought to him, and he said, cut the baby in half, and then we'll know. He, he said, cut the baby in half, and give half to both. Give half to each of the ladies. So the, uh, the real mother said, no, don't cut the baby in half. She can have the baby. And the, the other woman said, no. Cut it in half. That's the only fair thing to do. And so knowing that the only, the, only the real mother would have said, spare the life of the baby, uh, Solomon ruled, and he ruled correctly, that the mother uh, the, that asked for the sparing of the baby was the real mother. And so if you notice the similarities between these accounts, are you picking up on them already? You can see where, I mean, we got two people that say, this is what happened. And the other one said, uh, no, 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 that didn't happen. It didn't happen that way. It happened this way. How do you come to the, uh, to the right conclusion? Well, let me give you a couple of similarities here between the accounts, and then we'll, we'll go further. Uh, in both cases, of course, the rulings were made by kings. One was David, one was Solomon. Uh, David did not know who was telling the truth. 
apparently, because that's why he switched. Solomon did not know who was telling the truth. That's why he called for the sword. David said that the property should be split between Mephibosheth and Ziba. And Solomon also ordered that the living baby should be divided in two. And each woman would receive half of it. Uh, and then, maybe the, tell- the most telling piece of information, Mephibosheth said to, about Ziba, let him take it all. Let him have everything. And the real mother said, give the living baby to the woman that actually killed her baby. So Mephibosheth was telling the truth. And uh, he was willing to give his entire inheritance to Ziba because he was more interested in something else. Now, let's look at Ziba. And this, this really started me thinking about the, uh, the danger that Ziba was in and what Ziba employed to get what he was looking for. Chapter 19, verse 26, back to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 19, 26. Second Samuel 19, 26. It says, and he answered, this is Mephibosheth, my Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me and ask that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. And he, Ziba, hath slandered thy servant unto my Lord, the king. He used slander. Slander. What is slander? Slander is a false tale, a false report that is maliciously given. And it's given with the intention of injuring the reputation of another person. And they do this by lessening that person in the esteem of someone else. Slander is basically saying something that is not true for the purpose of lowering this person being slandered about's reputation in the eyes of the person you're telling. It's intentionally talking bad, uh, talking someone else down without that person there. And it's not just talking them down, it's saying something that is untrue. So my question then was, why? What would Ziba have why would he have reason to do this? Let's see if we can find out. Second Samuel chapter 9, back to chapter 9, verse number 1. Second Samuel chapter 9. You see, I don't believe that Ziba woke up and said, you know what, I'm sick of Mephibosheth. I'm going to go out and I'm going to lie to the king about him. I think it was a long-term process. I think it was uh, in the works for years. Chapter 9, verse 1. David has gotten, he's become king, uh, he has gotten some peace and some uh, security, and he decides that he wants to do something magnanimous, something gracious to someone else. David said, is there yet any of the uh, left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, art thou Ziba? And he said, thy servant is he. Now notice, this was... Uh, he's over and over and over again referred to as his master's son. Ziba is. Speaking of the house of Saul. David is the king, but somehow Ziba is still connected with the house of Saul. He said, as I serve it as he, verse, not, verse 3, 9, 3. And the king said, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. Notice here, it's Ziba 
that tells David about Mephibosheth. Ziba knows Mephibosheth. He's not, he has no reason to, to lie about him at this point. He's lame on both his feet. In his mind, he's just a cripple. There's, there's nothing that I can gain from him. And he's standing in front of the king, and the king is saying, do you know anyone that I could be a blessing to? And I can't help but think, and I'm going to use a little bit of, uh, of, of presumption on my part. I can't help but think Ziba is kind of like Haman when the king brought him in and said, what should I do for somebody that I want to show honor to? And I just can't help but think that maybe uh, Ziba has in his head that he is going to get something out of this. Now, we don't know that now. Of course, we have the benefit of, of, of hindsight. We can look back and see how he responded. But what I'm trying to find here is why Ziba went and lied to King David about Mephibosheth. Because when you start from this angle, there's nothing here other than good stuff. I mean, he's a good guy that says, I know somebody we should be nice to. I know somebody we should help. Let's go help this guy. Right? So here he is. Let's keep going. Verse number three, uh, verse four. And the king said unto him, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. He, he told David where Mephibosheth was. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. It was because of what Ziba did that he ends up, Mephibosheth, ends up in the king's house. Now, I don't know, did he get like a finder's fee or something? He did a really good deed for someone who was uh, handicapped and uh, had been victimized by life. And this man stood up for the handicapped, for this man who was, uh, had, had not been given much of a chance at life, all this bad thing, these bad things that happened to him, and he's standing up. He's a hero. He, he's a guy that needs to be uh, recognized for what he's done. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that he even indicates that. I, I'm, just, I'm kind of putting that back, looking through his life and his actions. Let's look at verse number 9. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him. Now, I don't know what he's thinking. Ziba was the finder. And uh, David brings Mephibosheth up as a result of his word. And I don't know if he's standing there thinking, this is my big opportunity. It's, this is karma. You do good, and good comes to you. That's the way it is. Isn't it amazing how people will believe karma? And they won't believe the Bible? <laughs> We're living in a crazy world, aren't we? I just think maybe it was karma, because I fed my cat, and then my cat rubbed my leg. It probably was. It probably was karma. All right, that's probably your cat's name. Verse number 10. Uh, he says, verse number 9. The king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. Now Saul was dead. Jonathan was dead. Mephibosheth is not in Jonathan's house. Who's there? I think it's Ziba. I think he was still a servant of the house of Saul. I don't know that he was still working for Saul in his physical house, but he's the one that's known for serving Saul in Saul's house. So what happens? He's not rewarded. He's demoted. I mean, if it hadn't been for Ziba, nobody would have even known about Mephibosheth. And now Mephibosheth comes up to the big house 
And Ziba says, I'm, uh, uh, the King David says, I'm giving everything that used to belong to your master to that guy over there. Now, technically, it, he deserved it, right? He's the grandson of Saul. He's in the line. Anything that would have been his grandfather should be his by right. But you got to think that Ziba's going, you guys wouldn't even known about this guy if it hadn't been for me. Let's keep going. It gets worse. Thou therefore, verse 10, and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. And thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. Talking about Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Wait a second. Are you telling me he's double dipping here? I'm working out in the, in the field tilling the land so that he has something to eat. But he's not even going to be eating at the table. He's going to be down at the king's house eating at his table. And what am I doing? I'm out there working so that he has, if he ever decides to set foot in this house, he can come and has a meal ready. And not only that, look at verse number, we're in 2 Samuel 19, uh, uh, 9, verse 10. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Don't you know that Ziba felt that maybe he was owed a little bit of respect? He had 15 sons. And any man with 15 sons is hoping for a little bit of respect somewhere. Maybe not with 14 of them, but maybe one of them could show some respect, right? And then 20 servants. That's a lot of people to tell what to do. When you got, how many is that, 35? 35 people that you can snap your fingers, and especially in the, in the Hebrew culture, and say, guys, go do this. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, just to rub it in, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And then notice this, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. And was lame on both his feet. So where is this? Where is this plot? This farm? Well, it's where probably in Gibeah, where Saul used to live. And so Mephibosheth's not even there, but he owns it. Ziba is there to make sure he takes care of that and takes care of everything and have a, have a, a, a stipend for Mephibosheth that he doesn't even need because he's getting taken care of by the king. Now, I, I, I again, this is presumption. I'm just kind of putting some pieces together. But I don't know about you. If that were me, I'd have a little bit of an issue with it. I, I would just now, now notice he says all the right stuff. And, and I'm not trying to impugn him falsely, although he did that to other people. But I, I'm just saying that this, this seems to be the start of where slander eventually comes out. Because he is, he's a smart guy. He's with it. He gets what's going on. He knows what's happening. And he, ha- he has the right word. He knows the location. He's not fumbling around on his phone going, I know I had that picture in here somewhere. You ever stand there for 15 minutes with someone while they look for pictures? You know, he's not, he's not fumbling around like an idiot. He says, Mephibosheth's your guy. And I know where he lives. And yet he does not get rewarded. He gets demoted. He gets put in a position where he now, his sons and his servants are watching him take care of this cripple who's not even there. Everything that we do. Now, at the the best, if he's a sharecropper, that means that he gets something out out of watching the land and taking care of the land. And I'm sure that there was some type of arrangement there. But over time, over time, 
it starts to wear on you. The question that I had when I was studying this, where, where does a human, where does a Christian find, find it in his or her heart to slander someone? Where do they get it? Slanderers are in Scripture. They're often, they're often mentioned. And uh, it's, a, it's a sad state of affairs. But I think, I, think, I think what we need to do is, let's look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy 19. And I am missing two verses. Something you may be thankful for that. I need, I need help. If someone has a, a Bible app on their phone or concordance, uh, there's a couple of verses about slander in Proverbs that I want to read, and somehow or other they got, they got cut. They got cut, and then they didn't get pasted. That's a problem. Okay, so, you look at Deuteronomy chapter 19. David... In his judgment of Mephibosheth, made a rash judgment. And uh, if you find it, just raise your hand. I'll, I'll, I'll call you. Find it, Lucas? Yep. Psalm 1018. Proverbs 1018. That's the verse. And then there's one that is, uh, it's about flattery. That's in chapter 18, if I'm not mistaken. I want to look at those verses before we go to Deuteronomy. Forgive me. Proverbs chapter 10, you said, verse 18. Yep, that's the one. And then is it chapter 18? Not flattery. I was way off. 624. Let's see here. Nope, that's not the one. Now let's see here. Nope. That's not the one. What is it? 18.8. No, that's not the one either. It has to do with flattery, and it has hatred in the verse as well. That's the one. And then the other one is what? Nope, that's not the one. Let's look, at, let's look at chapter 10, verse number 18. That's the first one. We'll find it. We'll find it. We've got a lot of people in here working on it right now. We'll get it. It's, it's the one. It has in the, in the verse, it has uh, flattery and hatred. And it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting tie-in. So let's look at chapter uh, 10, verse 18 first. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. So we see the connection there. Why does someone slander? They slander because of hatred in their heart. Why do they tell a lie about someone else? Because they hate that person. Why do you want to bring someone else down? Why do you want to see the demise of that person? Because you hate them. That's a pretty strong word. But don't you love the Lord? He just tells you, I'll tell you what's in your heart. It's hatred. You hate her. That's why you say things about her that are not true. Did you find the verse, anybody? Come on now. Come on. This has got to be it. 
There you go. That's that, that's one. That is one of them. But that's not that's not the one. Yeah, maybe. I ain't tongue hateth. That is the one. That is the one. It's not hate. It's not hatred. It's hateth. That's the word. Okay, twenty six, twenty eight. Let's look at it. You guys are professionals. Okay, you're good. Look at it. it says twenty twenty six, twenty eight. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. So I just can't, I cannot get over the, the, the connection with slander and hatred and lying and flattery. Isn't that weird? Why is flattery connected with slander? I mean, that's a, that, that's a pretty deep diagnosis. If you were to say that you are flattering someone... I don't even, I'm not even sure I'm ready to make this conclusion. I'm, there's a lot of hypotheses here. Okay? Could it be that you are flattering someone because of some kind of hatred in your heart? Now, the only reason I'm saying that is because of the connection that's made there. Do you see that? A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. He connects a lying tongue with, at the very least, flattery is a lie. At the very least, flattery is lying. What does that mean? It means that sometimes we don't like people, but we hide it by saying nice things about them. Now, maybe you don't do that. Maybe you are just like my New York grandma that just would say, whatever, you stink. Praise the Lord. That's good. We need may your tribe increase. <laughs> People that tell the truth. But 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 aren't but isn't it interesting how Ziba got David to make a rash judgment? And I was going to have you go in Deuteronomy chapter uh, uh, nineteen and and see where David uh, he loved the he loved the law of God, but somehow or other Ziba's flattery got him to forget the law of God in a moment. Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen. Deuteronomy 19.15. I don't want to, I don't want to play around with this, this concept here because I don't want to uh, make a connection that God does not make. But I just, it is a scary thing to me. Deuteronomy 19.15. Uh, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, and any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. So that's why it's so important that, that when we have when we are in a position of power, and by the way, we we fall when we feel safe, when we feel comfortable with people. We're more prone to say things that we shouldn't say when we feel like we're in a position of strength. David was in a position of strength as the king. And I guess as a king, you get used to making the shots, calling the shots, making the calls, right? You get, you get to say whatever you want when you're the king. It's like being the president without Congress. Like you can, you can do whatever you want to do. And I guess David got used to making so many, uh, you know, shoot from the hip decisions that he didn't think about the fact that I can't just give land from one, take land from one guy based on uh, what he's saying. But see, here's what it is. All slander doesn't sound like slander. All lies don't sound like lies. So then the question is, what do I do? How do I do this? 
Is it possible that I have heard it? And I've learned this in the last few years. I've learned this. People come with their own perspective and they come with their own agenda and their own mission. And they want you to take it and they want it to become the truth for you as well. Well, guess what? In about 15 minutes, somebody else is going to come in and they're going to do the same exact thing from another direction. How do I know? See, that's why it's so important that we don't fall in love with people's compliments to ourselves. And that we don't constantly look for just the people that say nice things to us. My real friends are nice. Actually, the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Ziba didn't care about David. Ziba didn't care about Mephibosheth. You know who Ziba cared about? Ziba. And, and, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you're the kind of person that's like, I just, I hate myself, and it's so nice when people are nice to me. Okay, okay, I understand what you're saying. But let me ask you this. Do you want someone to, and, or do they have to lie to be nice to you? Is it really, a, is it a compliment if they're lying to you? And by the way, our, our identity and our, our fulfillment and our uh, confidence and our joy should not come from what other people say to us. It should come from the Lord. Thank God for who, what he's done for me and, and, and who I am in Christ. That's where my joy should come. Now, this, as a young pastor, I have to fight this. Because there are times when I, and I'm going to be vulnerable, please don't tell anybody I said this, okay? I know I can trust you guys. I'm not sure about the rest of the church, but I know I can trust you. Sometimes there's a, there's a desire in me, I want to hear compliments. I want to hear someone say That's a good, that was a good message. And you know what? I know when it wasn't a good message, but I still want to hear it was a good message. You know what that is? That is, that is a, a lack of confidence in God's word. That's what it is. It's a lack of confidence in what God has shown me in the Word and what is, clear, what is clearly revealed in Scripture. You know, it's, it's not about me. It's about the Word of God. And that's where, that's where we get messed up. We start looking for um, people to, to validate us. You start looking for our spouse to validate us. And, and thank the Lord, my wife gives, gives me compliments. I mean, I think uh, she gave me three this year so far. <laughs> That's a, bit, that's a banner year. That's a great. I'm, te- I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I have to be careful. My, my wife says I'm an acquired taste, and I think a lot of people are not interested in acquisition, I'll be honest with you. But, but, uh, but what's interesting is sometimes in that seeking for someone to validate me, I'm actually saying, Lord, you're not enough. And, and here's the thing. You can be lied to and walk away feeling great. That's what Ziba did. Ziba lied to David and walked away and said, I'm just a humble servant. Just thank you for the grace that you've given me. What a godly man. What a liar. And you know where it came from? Hatred in his heart. I think it came from a point where he was sick and tired of being pushed under by this cripple. And I don't have to take this anymore. And look at me. I, I, I'm, I'm six foot five. And I got boys that are as tall as, as trees. I got all kinds of servants. And I, and I don't have, and this guy's not even there. There comes a point where that hatred starts to build up. And, and it's not obviously going to be the same in our lives. What is it going to be in our lives? This is what it's going to be. It's going to be, I feel like somebody needs to take him down a peg or two. 
She's not as great as everybody thinks. Now, I'm not saying I'm great either, but she's not as great as everybody thinks she is. I know something about her that you don't know. You know, I was challenged uh, just this past week. Somebody told me, whenever I hear somebody say, hey, do you know so-and-so? I always say, and, I, and, and if, if it's someone that I've, we've not talked about or whatever, I always say, oh, those people are awesome, aren't they? Now, I don't think you need to lie, of course. But you know how many, you know how many problems that would solve? How much gossip that would quelch? If immediately when someone said, what do you think about so-and-so? Isn't he a great guy? Now that person has to decide the risk versus the reward. They are great in their own way. <laughs> You've got to think of somehow, i got to save face because I'm about to kill them, but I don't want you to know that I was going to kill them, but you kind of agree with me, right, before I say it? Uh, I'm honestly, I'll be honest with you. Uh, the idea of, uh, of speaking the truth... I've got down. Speaking the truth in love is another story. Encased in love. And this, this, this has really challenged me because I think, why do I want people to think less of that person? Why do I want that man that I'm talking with to walk away thinking that he's not so great, that he's actually a compromiser, he's a hypocrite, he's a, he's a whatever? And it's not just, don't gossip. It's going further underneath saying, why do you want to gossip? Something wrong in the heart. Isn't that what he said? Uh, he said that we're not supposed to rise up and, and, and at the mouth of two witnesses shall it be established. You know, it was Jesus Christ at his trial where he experienced false witnesses against himself. False. He, we're told in Exodus, thou shalt not bear false witness. Now, we, the problem with gossip is it's not all slander. Slander is a lie that's told to kill somebody else. Gossip is a prayer request that we use to try to help build up other believers by tearing them down. Right? So that's where we, get a, that's where we find our way. By, you know, we kind of read through the, you know, get away with the terms and conditions. Because at the end of the day, we're not doing wrong. And here's another question. Are you doing right? Are you helping? He said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I will tell you this. If you've got something that needs to be said, go to that person's authority and talk to them about it. Or at the very least, go to that person and talk to them about it. There's times when things need to be said. But to thy, he said, uh, to his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, God is able to hold him up. You know what I ought to do if I've got, I got a problem with, uh, with uh, 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 another brother somewhere? I need to go talk to his pastor. And I need to go to him and I need to say to his pastor, Pastor, is this true about this man? Now, in the ministry, it's easy sometimes. Believe me, it's easy to shoot from the hip and just stand around and, and talk, shop, you know, chew the fat. That missionary, yeah, you know, he reminds me. I don't know about him. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm not sure about him. I'm not sure about who. You know, I don't. It, it, it's just, it's like what you do, right? And uh, the Lord's kind of convicted me about that. Just because I can get away with it, just because we all walk away going, yeah, that's that's really interesting. 
everything seems okay in the moment, but underneath it, there's another story. Now, let's talk as we finish up here about how to handle slander against yourself. Chapter 19, 2 Samuel 19. 2 Samuel 19. We've got to be careful about believing gossip, especially when it's designed to put somebody else in a bad light. Here's how, here's how Mephibosheth handled it when it was him that was slandered. Verse 26. And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. Okay, number one, you, it's okay to admit that you've been taken advantage of. Number two, verse 27, And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king, but my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. Number two, believe that God is still going to do what's right. Your judgment is not in the hands of the slanderer. Your judgment is in the hand of God. God is going to do what is right. And yes, that person may have lied about you, and, and you may feel that you've been destroyed, but you're not destroyed. You're in God's hands, and he's going to do what's right. Number three, verse 28, For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? Remember this, it's just the grace of God that you are where you are today. Somebody may have lied about you, Thank God they didn't tell the truth about you. Because of where you came from and what you deserve, it's a miracle that you're sitting here today. It's a blessing from God. It's grace. I shouldn't even be whining about this, God. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Somebody's yelling and screaming at me. Thank you for letting me even be here. Number next, verse 29. And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, for as much as my lord the king has come again in peace unto his own house. That's how we know that Mephibosheth had the right, the right heart, because he was more concerned about what the king got than what he got. When someone is critiquing you, slandering you, someone is gossiping about you, you, th- you feel someone is, 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 is causing you unnecessary grief. Look at it this way. Yes, I have been taken advantage of. And it hurts. And I think that's only truthful. You have to be able to say the truth. But God is going to handle this thing, and he's going to make the right choice. He's going to do what is right by me. Why? God's in charge, not those people. I'm not in charge. God's in charge. And it's just the grace of God that I even can be here. It's not what I've gotten. (laughs) I've gotten less than I deserve. That's for sure. And this guy yelling at me and screaming at me, it's interesting how Mephibosheth kind of echoes David's response towards Shimei. And I'll tell you what I'm happy about, David. Even if I don't get anything and he gets it all, I just want you to be happy. I just want God to get what's coming to him. If we started our prayers the way the Lord told us to, we would say, God, it's more important that your will is done on earth, that your kingdom comes, than my kingdom is established. When's the last time you said, Lord, I really, really want you to have your will done in my life. I want your will to be done in my church. 
God, I want your will to be done in my country. Not my will. He says, not my will, but thine. That's what Christ prayed. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I'm just, Lord, as long as you're happy. Isn't that the spirit that Christ had when he went to the cross? Not my will, but thine be done. As long as you are glorified. And Paul picked up that same theme and said, uh, you know what? I'm crucified. He said, I, I, I'm thankful for the cross, but whereby the, the, the cross, I am crucified under the, the world and the world is crucified under me. And he said, because I can glorify God. Whether I live or die, as long as Christ is glorified in my body, that's where God wants us to get. And isn't, isn't it interesting that it has such a practical, a practical application when it comes to something about being something like being lied about? That God can receive glory in you even when you're lied about. Now, I'm not saying you should stand there and let somebody punch you in the face. And if you have a way of saying something and stopping the lies, okay, great. But, 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 but there is another way of handling it, too. In that attempt to try to right the wrong, if you would use some of these things like Mephibosheth did and say, Lord, I just want you to be glorified. I think that God would take that and, and that would be a sweet savor in his nostrils. And I believe that God can use that in your own life to enjoy the fellowship of his sufferings. And in that suffering, you can know Jesus Christ in a way that you've never known before. Now, as we, <laughs> I'm not signing up for slander. I'm not interested in somebody uh, doing that. But I can tell you this. All things work together for good. The Lord can take even that and use it for his glory.